Everybody, welcome to the Cap House Podcast. I'm Doug, and I'm the son. And I'm Ron. I'm the dad. This is a bi-weekly podcast that covers all things policing. We're a father and son combo with over 33 combined years of police experience. Our show will tackle anything and everything you could possibly think of regarding the great policing profession. Nothing's off limits. Welcome to episode one of the Cap House Podcast. We are two generations, one great calling. Doug. Yes. Do you believe it? This is our episode number one. Our first full episode. People have been begging for it. Oh, totally. My phone has been blowing up since the preview show. And if you (laughs) haven't watched the preview show or watched, wow. If you haven't listened to the preview show yet, check it out on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and RSS. So you are up to speed on the Cop House podcast. You want to tell everybody what we're talking about today? I do. But before we do, did, did you notice what I'm wearing today? Yeah. I, I've got two things on as, as a throwback to our former police departments. I, I look kind of like a dork, but that's okay. I'm wearing the, a Wixom Police Department ball cap in homage to my former department, mm-hmm. and I'm wearing a Detroit Police Department 8th Precinct pullover in homage to your former police department. And so, my former precinct. That's right. That's right. The best precinct in the city, but hey. Right on. <laughs> So today we are going to be talking about patrol. Doug, why? What? What is patrol? Why are we starting talking about patrol? What is it? How does it relate to the larger police department you know, as a whole? Patrol. I mean, patrol is, as I, I see in your extensive notes here. Yes. You you put something in there about how, yep, uh, policing and patrol is the backbone of a police department, and that was actually something that my academy instructors said as well um patrol is going to be you're going to be responding to incidents taking calls for service maybe stopping some cars um and that's where most of the work most of the manpower hours in most departments is going to come from and that's where that's where most of the action's at that's where the calls happen that's where the reports that turn into more extensive investigations happen right that's where most of your arrests are going to be made truthfully right um so for the, for today's show, I mean, we, we've got a lot to talk about, and I, I'd love for us to spend some time talking about what was it like for me to be a patrolman back when I would have to put the saddle on my horse and, and, and load up the, co- the covered wagon and patrol the mean streets of the city of Wixom versus you patrolling the 8th Precinct in Detroit. I, yep. I, a lot of big differences in, in patrol there. Mm-hmm. Hey, before we get into that, can we tell a couple stories? Yeah. People, people come to the Cop House podcast because they're listening to a retired cop and a current cop, and I'm guessing they probably want to hear a story or two. I would say so. Probably, yeah. So I'll go first. My stories, I don't think my story is as good as yours, but so I'll go first, and then, then you can tell your, I think, I think much better story. So the year was about 1997, 98. It was a dark and stormy night, and uh, I was working the midnight shift on patrol because we're talking about patrol here. And I was working with a, a couple partners, and we heard a, 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 a police pursuit, a chase, 
coming our way. It was coming from the east, and it was coming right down the main street that cuts Wixom in half. And it was it was coming our way, so we we all go racing out of the station because all young police officers want to get involved in a police pursuit. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And we we jumped into this pursuit, and we we followed this person, and we were heading west, and we're heading out of town, and we ended up out in a community to the west of us and this community is kind of a very rural area and we ended up chasing this person for a long time uh, we this chase went on for 20 25 30 minutes and we are going through all these back roads gravel roads i i, I want to say it was springtime so they were muddy washboard surfaces well, the, the guy ended up crashing his car in the front yard of this home. Now, fortunately, he wasn't hurt. The, the suspect wasn't hurt. No police officers were hurt. That, that's always the desired outcome. He crashes his car into a tree. And, of course, the officers descend upon him like the plague and, and, get, him, <laughs> and get him in custody. And this, this wasn't our deal. I mean, we were just there to help. So... Doug, as you know, when you are the assisting agency, what's the best part about being an assisting police officer to another agency? Uh, you get to have a lot of the fun yes. with much, much less paperwork. Yeah, virtually zero paperwork. And you get to get in your car and go home and, and leave the mess and the cleanup to the the officers who started the whole thing. Well, so that's what we did. We jumped in our Wixom police cars and we headed back to the station. We, pu we pull in the driveway and back then we had white, that's right, snow white Ford Crown Victorias for our scout cars, our police cars. Mm -hmm. And they were muddy all the way up to the light bars. If you check out our Facebook page, uh, the Cop House Podcast, as well as our Instagram and our Twitter, at Cop House Podcast, you'll see a picture or two of those white Ford Crown Victoria police cars with mud all the way up to the light bars. So that's my story. So go ahead and tell yours and see if you, folks, see if you can see a common denominator in these two stories. So this was actually with my current department. Um, we got a call kind of to a house that's out in the middle of nowhere. It's just kind of surrounded by woods. And it was for a, a three-year-old girl that had wandered off and uh, they were they were looking for her. They couldn't find her. Um, so I get there, get some information from the from the dad and start looking for her. And I, I basically go around through the backyard and I find this trail that like goes through the woods. So I start following it and I'm just trying to think like if I was a if I was a three-year-old kid, like where would I go if I was just out walking, uh, just wandering around. So I start following this trail and you know the other units are showing up they're trying to get some more information they're working on getting some other resources they're talking about getting a dog out getting a drone out mm -hmm. uh to look for and uh, so i'm walking this trail and i keep i keep like yelling this kid's name mm -hmm. and um I'm, I'm listening as hard as i can trying to trying to hold perfectly still and see if i can hear her yelling back or anything like that and eventually i yell so i yell her name and i thought i heard her call back just going yeah hmm. and i'm like well, my ears are ringing <laughs> because it's so quiet out there right and all cops have uh tinnitus or yeah ringing 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 in their ears so my ears are ringing but like, I, i'm thinking i'm here I'm, I'm thinking i'm hearing her going yeah so i i kept like walking like 20 30 feet and stopping and yelling her name again and listening but i keep going and uh 
I end up getting out onto the back onto the road and kind of like paralleling it, trying to get to where I think she's like straight out in the woods from where I'm at. And um, finally, I, I get to where I think she's like straight out for me because at this point, it's clear I can hear her yelling back. Right. Yeah, every time I yell her name. So the uh, next to the road, there's like a really deep ditch and it's full of water and it is freezing out. Yes. And um, <laughs> I, I get to where I'm going to go in the woods. And I remember I watched my body camera footage and <laughs> I look at the ditch full of water and I swore, said something I shouldn't have under my breath. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. yes, I <laughs> guess I'm going, trying to go over it. Right. So I kind of. I jump and I land both feet on the other side and it's all mud and I slide straight down to the middle of this ditch yeah. about two feet of water so now I'm soaked up to my knees <laughs> my body camera it's, it's just a string of expletives because it's freezing out and I'm right. soaked up to my knees so I have to fight and I'm, I'm crawling through the mud to get out of this ditch <laughs> and I do and, and you know probably about 50 feet into the woods found her she's yeah. she's sitting there next to a log uh freezing cold and carried her back and uh gave her back to her parents and yeah. it was a it was probably one of my favorite moments of my career sure. finding that kid but yeah. the the funny part is drenching myself and and freezing from the knees down it was all said and done i call my sergeant i'm like sergeant i'm gonna go home and change boots change, and yeah, pants because yeah. it's very early in the shift and i'm quite cold and wet <laughs> So that, muddy. that that is a great story. And yeah, your story, I think, is much better than my story. But, you know, we have a we have a very smart audience, Doug, and I'm sure that they can tell what the common denominator is in these two stories. Mud all the way up to the light bars, mud all the way up to your knees mm -hmm. or, or maybe your mid thigh. What the common denominator there obviously mud. is mud. That's right. Mud. <laughs> so what, why are we talking about mud? Well, Today's topic, as, as we said a few minutes ago, is patrol. And if you look at the origin of, of, of the word patrol, you know, several hundred years ago, basically it meant, in, in French, it meant to tramp around or stomp around in the mud. That's what patrol means, to stomp around or, or tramp through the mud. I didn't know that until you told me that when we were getting ready for this show. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a bit of a dork when it comes to word origins and etymology. So, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit, but that's okay. So <laughs> we we wanted to lead with a couple stories because this is the Cop House podcast, and we know that many of you come here to hear some stories, some better than others. So, Doug, patrol. Police departments vary across the nation in size from huge departments like New York City and Detroit, where you mm -hmm. used to work, and L.A., LAPD, to smaller departments like the one I used to work at. You know, when I when I got hired in 1995 with Wixom, we had we had nine po police officers. We had nine patrol officers. But one thing that a lot of departments have in common is they they do have different units. Mm -hmm. they, there's a patrol unit, an investigative or a detective unit. Bigger departments are going to have units such as canine or dogs or homicide. You know, the department you used to work at had a homicide unit, and mm -hmm. Detroit had had everything. Yeah, so, gang unit. There right. was yeah. So, where does patrol fit in within the in the scheme of? You've already kind of alluded to it, but where mm -hmm. does patrol fit in in the scheme of the police department? 
I mean, it's where pretty much everything originates from. I mean, the the detectives aren't going out looking for crimes to solve. They're going to be getting assigned things that are brought to the attention of patrol. Patrol is the, I mean, they're the ones that are making most of the face-to-face contact with the public, be that in the form of uh, traffic stops and proactive police work like that, or taking calls where people are reporting crimes or there's crimes that are actively going on. Right. So, on you know, on the day that, that this podcast is updated, you and I and, and, and your mom and my wife and uh, probably probably your, your wife, we're, we're going to be going to a graduation of mm-hmm. our nephew. Yep. He's graduating from the police academy. Mm-hmm. When he starts at his agency, what unit is he going right into? Patrol. Patrol, right. <laughs> Over the years, I've, I've had a lot of great opportunities to talk to a lot of young people who are interested in policing. They come out and do ride-alongs. They might want to interview you for a, for a school project. And when you hear that they're interested in policing, many times I'll ask them, hey, what do you want to get into in policing? And what do you think a young person usually says when they say, I want to get into policing? I want to be a detective or I want to be... SWAT team, or I want to be a canine cop, or the FBI, or <laughs> the, the DEA, or right. well, yeah, I I don't think I've ever spoken to a teenager or or a young person mm-hmm. in college who has said, I want to put on a uniform with a bullet resistant vest, jump in a police car like all the other police cars out there, and drive around and do patrol. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had one tell me that and take calls and that's right yeah exactly why is patrol so critical you've already kind of alluded to it it 99 percent of the time when the public picks up the telephone asking for police help it's a patrol officer who comes Mm -hmm. right yeah 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 so what are i guess this could lead into what what are the different types of well why don't we start with what does a patrol officer do so they're they're going to be taking calls. I, I mean, basically, you have you have taking calls, and then you have your what you'd call like proactive policing, which is like actively looking for uh, crimes that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, the proactive stuff comes in in terms of traffic stops or checking in areas where there's crimes that are like known to happen frequently, mm-hmm. and and looking for things. So, on the traffic stop side of that, uh, you'll have a lot of guys who are good at finding drugs or finding illegal weapons and things like that. So they're going to make stops and they're going to be having those contacts for the purpose of maybe finding people that are selling drugs or something like that and Mm -hmm. and making those contacts that way to make those cases proactively because nobody is calling and saying, hey, there's a, well, sometimes people call, but uh, nobody's calling and saying, hey, there's a guy driving by my house and I know he's got a bunch of drugs in the car. Right. Right. So, so so let's dissect what you just talked about a little bit. You talked about taking calls, mm-hmm. calls for service. Yep. You talked about driving around finding stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you said. And yep. you, you talked about traffic enforcement. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I, I think, and, and maybe some of our audience might, might disagree with me, but I, I think you've kind of hit on the three primary elements of a patrol officer. Calls mm-hmm. for service, traffic you know, the, the, with the idea of reducing traffic crashes through traffic enforcement and driving around finding stuff, which is really what we call patrol. Mm-hmm. Now, 
you worked for a major metropolitan urban police department, one of the busiest departments in the nation, Detroit. Mm -hmm. And I worked for a small suburban community, Wixom. What, let's talk a little bit about the differences between you as a patrol officer for Detroit and mm -hmm. me as a patrol officer for Wixom. What, what did your shift look like when you, you and your partner jumped in the car and started doing patrol? What did you do? So in like a major area like Detroit or like a big population center, your day, your shift is going to be a lot more focused on the handling calls aspect as opposed to the traffic and the proactive policing side. That's not to say you can't do that or there isn't that to be done or even time to do that, but there's definitely a lot more calls to be handled. There were there were months sometimes in Detroit where I would do my I would add up my stats for the month. We had to do monthly stat sheets. Mm -hmm. um, I would add up my stats for the month and I might have handled close to 300 calls for service. Wow. Or in Detroit call them police runs, we don't call them call for services, calls right. for service there, but you might handle close to 300 calls or police runs mm -hmm. that month and I might have made like two, three traffic stops. Right. Um and that's just the nature of the area. When you have those major population centers, the more people you have in an area, the more calls for service there are or runs. Did you work with a partner in Detroit typically? Yeah, we, we, we rode two-person cars there. Sure. So you, as a patrol officer, working in tandem in with another patrol officer. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you can remember... When you get in the when you got in the the car in Detroit, the police car, or as you guys call them in Detroit, scout, scout cars. cars. Yep, I will call it that until the day I die. <laughs> I get made fun of at my current department for yes, it. Yes, yes, you do. Yeah. Um, if you can remember, what was the most, the highest number of police runs you had waiting for you on a busy afternoon shift in the eighth precinct of the city of Detroit? I don't know the highest number, like from check-in, mm -hmm. uh, but I mean it wasn't uncommon to call or to check into service, get signed into the computer, and you look at the board, the screen where you see all the runs that are holding, waiting for a police response, mm -hmm. and there's upwards of 15 calls just in just in your precinct, waiting, waiting to be handled, pending, yes. pending, yes, okay. Um, it wasn't uncommon at all. I believe the busiest shift I ever had mm -hmm. in an eight-hour shift, I handled 22 calls. Okay. All right. Um, uh, that was a very, very busy summer evening. Sure. But. Okay. So one thing, when I when I was a young patrol officer, uh, one thing that, that I remember bosses getting on us about and keeping an eye on was our free patrol time. Because mm -hmm. remember, I worked for... A suburban police department with a population a community had a population of about 10,000 or so and so we had free patrol time not a lot of free patrol time in the city of Detroit I'm guessing in the in the 8th precinct where you worked generally no I mean people sure. would be surprised sometimes people are like oh I'm sure you were call to call every single day mm -hmm. I mean no you still have days where you might only take a couple calls right it, it happens okay. but it's not super common it was more common to have 15 calls holding when you check in mm -hmm. than not. This may surprise you and may surprise our audience, but in 27 years for Wixom, there's never been 15 police runs or as we call them, calls for service holding 
I don't think ever. So <laughs> that probably doesn't surprise you, but yeah, probably not. Okay, so in where you worked in Detroit, not a lot of time for traffic enforcement because you're taking the the police runs. No, and honestly, if you're somebody who was trying to make traffic stops all the time, you'd kind of tick off your shift mates and because why is that? Because they would be taking all the calls and like wow this guy's on a traffic stop we have 20 calls holding that he could be that they could be helping with sure you know and you're writing all the reports taking all the runs yep while johnny hotshot is out there uh, (laughs) trying to find a a drunk driver which is good we should be you know we should be arresting drunk drivers but john stopping his fifth dodge charger this shift yeah yeah exactly while you're you're writing all the reports got it there's there's three domestics holding like what are you doing so we, we talked a little bit about free patrol time. Uh, not a lot of free patrol time in Detroit for the Detroit Police Department. Uh, quite a bit of free patrol time, mm-hmm. particularly on the night shift in Wixom, particularly in the, the winter months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say this or even embarrassed, but I mean, in, in, in Wixom at night in February, I, I could go two shifts without a call. Really? Without a call for service or, as you guys call them, police runs. Mm-hmm. So a lot of free patrol time. So the, the department I work now is actually kind of in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. We will have shifts where we are effectively call to call. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we will have shifts where I don't have a single call. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's very in the middle of those two things where I work now. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about f- this free patrol time you, you had mentioned and i'm paraphrasing what you said of course but you had mentioned um, essentially kind of driving around trying to find criminal activity trying to find suspicious activity trying to prevent things from happening uh when i think of free patrol time i and and some in our audience might disagree with my assessment of this but i kind of see patrol or this free patrol time broken down into two categories. One being the random, traditional, preventive patrol that a lot of people think of. They, mm-hmm. they, they think the officer, he or she gets in their police car and they randomly and traditionally and preventively just drive around their community or their beat area. So, so that's one type. The other type is more directive or uh, some some in the evidence-based policing world call it hot spot policing or hot spot patrol where you're actually responding to uh, past events that are known to have occurred. So you're focusing your time on the, these hot spots. Mm-hmm. I've also heard they call it directed patrol. <clears throat> and in Detroit, we uh, they were really big on stats and tracking stats. So every precinct was broken down into scout car areas so each precinct would have i mean it was just kind of arbitrarily assigned numbers but every area of a precinct had like a a a number that was associated with it and they would actually track crimes by scout car area Hmm. um so you know if they had a uptick in stolen cars they could say hey we had you know vehicle thefts utas um were up by such and such percent in say for example eight six area or eight seven area and then they would encourage the shift to if you have that free time to be patrolling to spend some time in that area and watch out for possible vehicle thefts going on because Mm -hmm. they they track those stats and a lot of that was very numbers based sure 
And, you know, bigger departments are, are going to have people dedicated to that. They're, they're called crime analysts. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe someday we, we dedicate uh, a show or a portion of a show to crime analysis. And maybe we could even get uh, someone on who can talk more intelligently about that than us. Yeah, but, yeah. but bigger departments are going to have those crime analysts who that's their job to, to pour over the or, or have the database or have the, the technology pour over what has been taking place over the course of the last week, 10 days, two weeks, and, and put that information out to the patrol officers mm-hmm. for that directed or hot spots patrol. I, I can tell you when I was a young police sergeant, and if you don't know, sergeant is typically the rank right above police officer. The, the sergeant is kind of, is your first line supervisor. So when I was a, a young police sergeant working patrol, I, I would spend hours pouring over the, the police reports that came in the day before, two days before, if I had a couple days off. And part of my role was to compile this information and send it out to the patrol officers so that we could do more directed patrol. In a little bit here, Doug, we're going to be talking about technology and how technology is completely changing police departments and how they operate and, and patrol. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I tell you that because there are man, there are ways by which departments can get that good data and put it out to the patrol officer so that they're patrolling smarter mm-hmm. and, and more efficiently mm-hmm. and effectively. Yeah. One thing that we should talk a little bit about is, you know, is this traditional routine preventive patrol, is it effective? You know, there, there is a, one of, the, one of the, the founding fathers, if you will, of police reform in America is a, was a man named O.W. Wilson. O.W. Wilson was a criminologist. He was a police chief. He was the superintendent for the Chicago Police Department, um, really um, instrumental in reforming and professionalizing policing. He had this theory that he called omnipresence, which said that when the patrol officer, when the bad guys don't know when the patrol officer is going to show up, that's police omnipresence because the patrol officer could show up at any time. Mm-hmm. And, and that was that was his theory. Random preventive patrol kept criminal activity at bay because of that omnipresence, and they, they, they never knew when the officer was going to show up. There have been some studies, and I'm not going to bore the audience with this, but there have been some studies that say random, preventive, traditional patrol, or this omnipresence, really doesn't have a net effect on on criminal activity or even the citizens' fear of crime. So, you know, you Doug, you talked about in Detroit, you'd get these 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 hot sheets that come out with, with the data on where to patrol. Uh, you want to speak to that at all? Or? Um, it, so they wouldn't actually give us sheets. It would usually be like in our, in our roll call at the beginning of the shift, like the supervisor would be like, hey, guys, you know, we've had an uptick in, in you know, maybe, maybe B&Es, maybe people's houses getting broken into in a specific area, 86, 87 area. So, you know, if you get free time, spend some time over there, drive around, make your presence known. Um, that was kind of how, that was kind of how they went about that. Um, that was, that was one thing too, that I feel like 
going forward. I think the department's kind of moving towards that, and I think it was a good thing to kind of take in some of those stats and use it to to their advantage because a lot of the they were finding too I, I believe that a lot of these people who were in these like small groups of people who would have like a crime that was their thing like you'd have a group of a group of dudes who their thing was breaking into houses and you know most of the break-ins in an area would be that same group of people and they don't usually go too far from home so mm-hmm. if if you see an uptick in a specific area it's because they are doing it in that area Um, so that was something that was kind of cool to see even in the five years that i was there that kind of increased from the time i started to the time i left they they definitely did more of that did Mm -hmm. more of that taking those statistics and using it to using it to our advantage sure obviously there's no way to get information on things that would have happened and didn't but i mean I'd, i'd definitely like to think it made a difference sure Working for Detroit, you you probably uh, had access to different types of patrol. Now, what I mean by different types of patrol, you as as a police officer, Detroit police officer working in the 8th Precinct, you put your uniform on every day, you jumped into a scout car, and you were motorized vehicular patrol. Mm-hmm. What, what, what were some of the other types of patrol? Um. There, I mean, there there was a bike patrol unit, but they were kind of just a uh, for show downtown. They didn't really do anything, um, <laughs> <laughs> at least as far as I know. I and, and if we have any Detroit bike patrol officers listening, yeah, feel free to correct me. I, <laughs> how about how about I just know that you look ridiculous wearing shorts with a duty belt. Wow. But that's just that's just me. That's just me. All right. <laughs> how about how about horseback? Did, did Detroit have a mounted unit? Yep. 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 There was We're a talking mount- about patrol here. Yep. So. There was a mounted unit. Um, we had, you know, we had a, a traffic unit um, who they would just go out and do traffic enforcement, which like you said, that is a type of patrol. Mm-hmm. They weren't technically part of what we referred to as patrol, which is the people who are out there taking calls, but right. they were doing specifically traffic enforcement, which is a type of patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have different proactive units who would specifically be making stops and, and, and looking for for guns and warrants and, and drugs and things like that. Um, so that was that was a big one. There was there was a lot that came from those guys as well. Okay. And and for, for our audience, you know, if you're not familiar with the different modes or types of patrol out there, you know, there there's obviously officers that are on foot patrol. Um you know, you're you're not going to see that out in out in a rural area. You know, you'd be walking for hundreds of miles right. be, between farmhouses. But you know, in an urban area, foot patrol is probably a, a critical part of the patrol staff. And and I can only speak for Detroit because I know foot patrols from what I've heard and things that I've read and watched and listened to. Uh, they use foot patrols a lot in like New York, mm, uh, Detroit, right. not so much. Sometimes. It, Usually the, the people who are on foot patrols in Detroit were would be working downtown or working special events. Detroit like, Tiger game. Yeah, yeah, things like that, or even just working downtown on a weekend. You gotcha. have cops out there walking around in those busier areas. Mm-hmm. Um, in the neighborhoods where I work for most of the time, uh, you don't have that. Right. Just just because of distance. Um mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the precinct that I worked was about 15 or 16 square miles. Mm. So it's not really realistic to foot patrol that if your whole shift is maybe 
16 or 18 cops, it's kind of hard to cover that sure. type of area. And if you did get put on a foot patrol in a precinct, it was usually because you were in trouble. Oh, goodness. that was a punishment. <laughs> and it's interesting, your precinct where you worked, number eight in Northwest Detroit, uh, is bigger than the city I, I policed in for 27 years. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. But, you know, there's foot patrol, there's bicycle patrol, motorcycle patrol, horse patrol, uh, Segway patrol. Uh, probably don't see that a lot in Detroit. Or, no, or, or, no, I don't think we had that. Uh, motor vehicle patrol, which is typically what, what you're going to see. Um, aerial patrol, mm-hmm. you know, um, the fixed wing airplanes, the helicopters, drone patrol. So there's a lot of different modes out there. Doug. Yes. Maybe we should transition to talk about technology. I believe you have some things prepared for that. I do. I do. I, I have some papers here. Uh, <laughs> to, to discuss. Let's refer to the stack. The stack, that's right. Seven weeks ago, about seven weeks ago, New York City Mayor Eric Adams held a press conference. And in that press conference, he and the bosses of the New York Police Department rolled out an artificial intelligence robot. And that robot is going to, is going to patrol the subway system in Times Square. Is it going to have an Austrian accent by chance? I, I, interesting. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. But so robots, like the Terminator, robot cops. You know, years and years ago, when when I was a kid, there was a there was a movie called RoboCop. Well, <laughs> we we seem to be here because New York City just rolled one out in a pilot program, and they're already saying that if it's successful, there will be many more. Did you ever think that in your career that you would possibly see that type of technological change in policing in general, but patrol specifically? I don't think so. I I, I think there's definitely a human aspect to police work that you're not going to get with that. I, I don't know. I, I haven't read about it, I think, as much as you have. My initial thoughts are that's eh. Well... <laughs> But, but before you say me, it's, it's a fad like the internet. It's going away. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, hey, look, I'm not trying to talk you into anything. I, I'm I'm not a police officer anymore. I, I just play one here on this podcast. But <laughs> let me let me tell you a little bit about what this AI RoboCop robot cop does. Well, yeah, I should probably hear about it, it before yeah, passing we, judgment yeah, on it. Perhaps. I mean, yeah, because you never pass judgment too soon. Uh, so, <laughs> okay, so. If, it, if this program's successful, there will be many more deployed. Currently, uh, this robot, who stands about five foot three inches tall, is equipped with a 360 degree camera. But the mayor said, quote, while the robot will capture video footage, it won't record audio or use facial recognition. Do you think the public believes him when he says that? that I don't. Oh, you do, you do not. <laughs> I don't believe him either. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. But he's saying it, it, it only captures video, 360 degrees. Additionally, the, the little five-foot-three robot mm-hmm. will be equipped with a, a button that a, a subway caller could push and immediately reach the New York Police Department. It's powered by AI, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. It has an autonomous supercomputer on board that uh, will collect data 
analyze it on the spot and draw conclusions. So I is guess this where policing is going. Is this where patrol is going? I don't think so. I think there's a human element that you just you cannot get with a robot. I'm I'm also curious too, and I don't know if your your stack over there has any information on it. But what my is stack it? has all the information. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, what is it analyzing? I mean, if you have video with no audio, what is that? What do you really get from that? First of all, maybe before I maybe before we try to answer that question, we maybe we should talk about what AI is. What is artificial okay. intelligence? So, <clears throat> artificial intelligence is well, I have a definition here from the US Office of Justice, okay? The US Office of Justice Programs. AI is a domain of computer science that creates machines that mimic human intelligence. Now, they don't mimic human intelligence. Now, that this is not the quote anymore. This is me expanding on it. They don't mimic human intelligence all by themselves. Data has to be put into it, or mm -hmm. it has to draw from a data source, such as the internet mm -hmm. or, or, or databases. So look, getting back to our little robot here, patrolling the Times Square subway system, the mayor says it's going to collect data, analyze it on the spot, and then draw conclusions as though it had human intelligence. So if it looks at a person on the subway, it's gonna draw from the available data that it has, draw conclusions that, I don't know, is this that this guy's about to rob someone? I, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, um, and what, what I'm hearing you say, as, as an officer currently working, mm -hmm. currently working patrol, that, how can you take that human element out of patrol? Well, that, I mean, there's that. And then also, what is the trash can on wheels going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's say, let's say, let's say it, it predicts a robbery, an armed robbery. Okay. And let's say it's right. Sure. Okay, so what? The trash can saw it. <laughs> What's it going to do? <laughs> well, I, I guess it's going to capture the video. Okay. And, and according to the mayor, who I, according to the mayor, no audio will be captured currently, mm -hmm. and no facial recognition will be conducted currently. So it'll 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 capture the video of it. Okay. Perhaps automatically notify that precinct that hey, you know, we're we're getting into a whole realm here of of policing mm -hmm. that that's commonly referred to as predictive policing. Okay. And. That, I mean, maybe that's what it's for. Maybe it's just to send an alert to the the nearest precinct, to the nearest patrol officer, like, "Hey, this is going down. It's over here. This is this is what it has predicted may be about to happen." Sure. Um, that could be a whole show in and of itself. Yeah. Talking about predictive policing. And then I think too, with that, you're going to probably, you know, if they roll it out, and if the use the use for it is as we're kind of predicting right now. I mean, you're going to run into, I mean, you're going to run into some legal challenges as well um, that there's going to have to eventually be some case law on. Sure. Um, because I mean, if the, if the robot predicts this guy right here, it thinks is about to rob somebody. Mm -hmm. Is that robot analysis now going to be enough for the officers to show up and detain that guy and right. identify him constitutional and, issues exactly yes i there's 
I, I think there's going to end up being legal challenges with it as well. Are, There'd have to be. The Fourth Amendment says people have the right to be secure in their persons and their homes and their mm -hmm. papers. So does, as you lovingly refer to him as the trash can on wheels, it, d does his artificial intelligence rise, d d does, does his information... I keep calling him his. It's information rise to the level of probable cause and a and a constitutional argument. I I have no idea. I don't and, think they know. And that's part of I think the uh, the human element that you can't replace because if you have uh, a cop who's a good, he's good at doing proactive work and stuff like that, and he's good at identifying maybe somebody that's about to commit a crime or behaving mm -hmm. suspiciously. That cop is going to be able to say specifically why. I saw this guy. I saw what he was doing. This is why it drew my attention. This is what was shady about it. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be able to say that. But if he shows up on the alert from the Terminator there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On the alert from C-3PO. <laughs> I, I think it looks more like R2-D2. It's a okay. little shorter than C-3PO, but go, go on. <laughs> if he shows up you know, solely on the alert from that, you're not going to have that same articulation that the seasoned street cop who's good at spotting suspicious activity, you're not going to have that. It's going to be like, well, the <laughs> C-3PO told me. Right. I, I, I think we run into privacy issues. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, is, is this robot capturing and storing video constantly every time it patrols a Times Square subway? Mm -hmm. I, I I, I guess it is. I don't know. Uh, civil liberty issues, uh, constitutional issues, issues of fairness and equity. Uh, you know, uh, part of the argument for data-driven policing is that it it, <clears throat> it it takes race or it takes ethnicity or it takes gender out of the equation. Well, does it? I, I don't know. If, if artificial intelligence draws from existing sources, mm -hmm. I, does it truly take issues of race ethnicity gender does it take that out of well, the yeah, equation it, perfectly i don't think it does it has to draw from you know numerical data or even human inputs i mean it's right. made by people sure it doesn't have any type of supernatural abilities or anything it's it's created by people who sure. have to program it input data right so and it has to draw that data from somewhere mm -hmm. so Okay, well, th this is a good segue in, into another uh, item I've got here in the stack, body-worn cameras. Body-worn mm -hmm. cameras are, are not new technology by, by mm -hmm. any stretch. You, they, you have, them in De they have them in Detroit. I believe you have them at your current agency. Yep. Yep. Uh, shortly after I retired, my old agency got them. So body-worn cameras is, is not new technology, but... Yeah, I've never not worked with one. Okay, yep. all right. What we're seeing in the world of body-worn cam um, cameras as it relates to patrol, again, the, the bigger topics, patrol here, as it relates to um, artificial intelligences, there's now body-worn cameras that are being outfitted, and I'm getting this from uh, policeone.com, a very reputable, great website, uh, by cops and for cops, th that new body-worn camera technology is going to have the ability, if not now, soon, to analyze local and regional gang verbiage and language to determine if an assault is about to take place. So you have a, a, a let's say a, a police officer working for LAPD. 
he or she's outfitted with a body-worn camera. The mm -hmm. data is inputted into the artificial intelligence supercomputer, and if the officer encounters a person on the street who uses certain trigger words or trigger phrases known to be used by that gang, the body-worn camera will automatically activate and notify the dispatch center that this person, that hmm. the officer is about to face a threat or a problem. Hmm. Where are the privacy issues there? Where are the civil liberty issues there? I mean, it's uh, hey, look, I'm in favor of anything supporting officer safety, mm -hmm. but to your point, Doug, it it takes away from that human element there, doesn't it? Yeah, I I don't know that one. That one doesn't give me quite as much pause as the other one, just because, you know, both departments that I've worked for, our policy was basically if you're having a contact with a member of the public, your camera's supposed to be on anyways. Okay. So whether or not it says, hey, this guy might be, be getting a little aggressive with the with the officer over here, mm -hmm. it's probably going to be on and being recorded anyways. Because okay. I, I believe, and I could be... I could be wrong about this. Obviously, different departments have different policies, but both my departments, if you're having a contact with a member of the public, it's supposed to be on in recording. So, I I don't know. That one doesn't give me quite as much okay. pause as the first one. All right. All right. Um, not sure. Okay. <clears throat> I got one more here in the stack that we should talk about. Sure. And, and, it, and, and then, you know, Doug, I know you wanted to talk about... Um, yeah, I got something to wrap the, up with. The, the patrol officer as, as, a, as a lifelong career. I, I don't want to steal your, your thunder there. But, <laughs> um, but, but this one, I, when I read this, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I can't wait. Yes. Again, policeone.com. Mm -hmm. Wonderful website. Buy cops for cops. This one talks about hologram cops. Hologram cops. Now hold on to your hat because you've been in policing for six years. Mm -hmm. And we'll see if by the end of your career you, you ever suit up and work with a hologram partner. The, the, for purposes of de-escalation de and officer safety, there's technology being worked on whereby, let, let's say you have a, a suicidal, mentally ill person who is not posing a threat to anyone else but themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, clearly, I think you and I and, and our, our police officer audience would agree that de-escalation is the name of the game there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you obviously, the officers aren't in jeopardy. The family's not in jeopardy. The, the person himself may be in jeopardy because he or she's threatening themselves. But we definitely want to de-escalate that. Well, the technology, uh, as I'm reading it here from policeone.com, says you can take a holographic image of a police officer you can make that holographic image any gender you want, any race you want, any ethnicity you want. You can put them in any kind of clothing you want and send that, send, and I'm using air quotes here, send that holographic officer into the scene in an attempt to de-escalate the situation. Doug, I, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this. All I can think of is the only other instance where I've actually heard of holographic images being used outside of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it was, I believe, for like a Michael Jackson concert a couple of years ago. They had like a holographic Michael Jackson. Okay. After he had passed away, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so apparently the technology exists. I've never 
seen it personally or even watched any videos of it. Sure. Uh, Let me read you what police1.com says. Okay. It says the holographic officer would have no boundaries in their ability to be utilized in situations where de-escalation was needed. They can take any form, bring a calming presence to the circumstances. They would have a 360-degree view of their surroundings, highlighting potential for hidden weapons or other people in the room acting suspiciously. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't think we're going to solve some of these issues on the Cop House podcast, but we're talking about patrol, and we're talking about the direction patrol seems to be going. I So with that one, I don't see that taking on a patrol role. Mm. I see that maybe using... I see maybe that being used to expand on something that departments already do. Like if you have, like in your example, somebody who's mentally ill, possibly suicidal, the only person they're posing a threat to is themselves. So we're not going to take a violence of action approach and get police officers hurt, Mm -hmm. you know, not going to kick the door in and and rush it, rush in. Right. Uh, But they might send in like a robot with a camera that might even have a screen on it so they can communicate with, like a negotiator or, mm-hmm. or a mental health professional who's maybe controlling it or speaking into it in like a video chat type thing on like a robot. Okay. I, I mean, I've seen that neither of the departments that I've worked for have had that, but I, I mean, I've seen videos and read about things like that being used. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is more just kind of an improvement on that that already exists where you might have like a video chat thing where you send in like a robot Okay. With a video chat screen on it to, to for, for purposes of safety, because then you can talk to this person remotely. Mm-hmm. I feel like having a hologram to do it is almost just kind of an improvement on that. Okay. And, and that's... So maybe not even under the under the heading of patrol. This would be more of a, hey, yeah. hey, we're buttoned down. We have this person secure. We've got them su- surrounded, for lack yep. of a better word. Yep. We Time is now on our side. Hey, call out the hologram cop. And and here comes right. the specialty unit with the hologram officer. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. I don't know. That's Fair that, enough. That I'll, is, I'll give you that. that. That's kind of the, just upon initially hearing about it from you just now, Yes. that kind of sounds like that would probably be the application for that. Okay. I, I mean, unless they're talking about sending it out to calls. It, but I... It is absolutely fascinating to see where policing will go in your career. Mm-hmm. I... I, I can't believe some of the stuff I read as I was prepping for today's show. I, crazy. I, I've got more here in the stack, but we've got, you know. Yeah, we're we're running up against the against the clock here. Okay. Um, something that I would like to kind of close with, and uh, so something that something that and it kind of comes with a piece of advice too for maybe people who are newer. Uh, not that I have all this experience or anything like that or, or a whole ton of time. You've got a lot of experience, son. Well, still, but I'm not trying to preach at people who, right. you know, have more experience than myself. It's just something that I've kind of come to realize in, in my time working in the field. Um, piece of advice maybe for people who are newer to it than myself or thinking about getting into it. Um, there's nothing wrong with being on patrol some some departments I, I've noticed have almost a, a stigma or or just like a subculture and a pressure to like mm-hmm. you know patrol is new guy stuff 
You want to mm-hmm. get into a special unit. You want to do. You want to do some. You want to do cool guy stuff. You want to do undercover stuff or, or mm-hmm. detective work or, or kicking in doors and stuff like that. And it's almost like a view that patrol is like. That's for the new guys. Like you want to get off patrol as fast as possible mm-hmm. and do all this other high speed cool guy stuff because patrols for new guys. And I, I think that's kind of a dumb. I think that's kind of a dumb part of the police subculture because. Like we said kind of at the beginning, patrol is what most of police work is at the end of the day. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with doing it and doing it well and being good at it mm. and even enjoying it. Yeah. I, um, when I was with Detroit, I did a brief stint with the precinct detective unit fairly early on in my time there i had maybe two years on when Mm -hmm. i got the chance to do it and i was excited about it and i had a good time and i did learn a lot and made some good cases but i found myself missing patrol Mm -hmm. i found myself missing jumping in a police car jumping in a scout car taking runs and doing that and just patrolling um and i kind of came to the and I was talking to some of my friends about going back to patrol and a lot of them were like, you got a sweet spot. Why would you want to go back to patrol? Right. Right. Patrols for patrols for the new guys. We're all going to units and stuff now. Mm. And I kind of came to, and I was like, wow, you're kind of right. Cause I did get this cool spot, but like I miss it. And I kind of had a realization from talking to a good friend of mine, um, who I would actually like to have him on here at some point. Um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who he had probably, he had probably a year and a half, maybe two years more than I did on the job. Mm-hmm. And he was still on patrol. He was on the shift that I left to go to investigations. And I was having a conversation with him and I was talking to him about it. And I was like, man, I, I really missed, I miss, I miss patrol. Mm-hmm. I miss it. And he said something to me that has stuck with me ever since he goes. He, and I remember cause I was, I was leaving the parking lot. I was in my personal car and I was just having a conversation with him at my window. And he said, he looked at me and he goes, maybe guys like you and me are just, maybe we're patrol guys. Mm. And I have remembered that ever since. And I feel like sure. that's kind of influenced my view on the job and on patrol specifically ever since then. I'm like, I'm like, man, you're right. Maybe, maybe we are patrol guys. Right. Maybe we're, this is what we're good at and this is what we enjoy. Yep. And this is maybe we can pass some knowledge on as we get some more time on mm. and there's nothing wrong with it. One There's, of the one of the greatest cops I worked with did almost 30 years as a patrol officer. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to be a boss. Didn't want to go into investigations. Now, in fairness, Wixom didn't have a ton of other units to 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 get into. Mm-hmm. But he, no, I don't want to be a boss, and I don't want to be a detective. I like patrol, and greatest one of the greatest cops I ever worked with or met. Yeah. So good advice, Doug. So, so, you know, just to wrap that up and put it into, if I had to put it in a single sentence, that's advice. Mm. I'm not saying to pass up opportunities that come your way, Mm -hmm. but don't be in some big, crazy rush to leave patrol. Right. That's it. So to to sum it up, that's, that's what I got. Fair enough. Good. Well, folks, uh, we are appreciative of you following us, subscribing to us, maybe leaving us comments on social media. And to our brothers and sisters out there who are working patrol and other (laughs) units, be you a detective or a narcotics officer, 
please be careful out there. Be safe, everybody. Bye. Bye.